0: All right, good morning. For those that are joining us, we're in our sermon series, Formations. This is going through kind of what are the formations, what, what forms the church, what, what are we as people, how do we form the church, how do we be the church, how do we act as the church, and we're going through Romans 12, and we're examining the, the, the gifts of the Spirit that God gives us uh, to, to be the church. For those that know me know that before I became a pastor, before I, I came into ministry, I worked in the field of architecture. And I, um, while I was in school, I went to the University of Manitoba. Um, I was part of the co-op program there. And in my co-op, I was placed in, um, in a pretty big firm. And that firm was was, at the time, was in Edmonton, so I was in Edmonton. My hometown was from Edmonton. So I was working in this firm called Coase Ebony in Edmonton. And I was placed with this architect named Tom Sutherland. And Tom, at the point when, when, I, when I went to do my, my co-op with him, he wasn't actually the one that was, I was assigned to. The, the architect that I was actually assigned to actually all of a sudden left the firm and went to another city, so then they just found another architect and put me with him. Tom wasn't one of those architects that, that wanted to take any students on. They didn't want to be a part of the co-op program, but said, okay, I guess I don't have a choice in this, so I'm just going to take this kid on. I was in my fourth year of my, my degree. I was just finishing up. This my last co-op term. It was a six, six-month term with him. And because I knew that he didn't want to take on a student, I just said, you know what, I'm just going to work my hardest, learn as much as I can with him, and just stay out of his hair. Tom, at the time when I met him, he was a senior architect on his way to become a principal architect with a firm. And Tom was a visionary. He was a visionary unlike any other. He had a vision in terms of just how buildings were formed, how they came up, and he In my opinion, he was like, he's one of the top tier architects that you could find in our country. And so it was an honor to be working with him. But Tom, when he first met me, he said to me, I don't know how to teach. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with you. But just work alongside me and do as I tell. So that's what I did. In those six months, I learned so much from Tom. Tom. I learned about concepting, I learned about working with developers, I learned how to be versatile because as an architect you have to wear so many different hats. I learned not only how to follow trends, but to create new trends, to be on the leading edge. And I learned how he made so many costly mistakes. But even in all of that, he lived it out with me. Actually, there's something that Tom said to me, that I will never forget, and he said, if you don't try to do the hard thing, you'll never know how far you can push. And this, for me, still is one of the things that stick with me in life, where I do the hard things because then I figure out how hard I could push. Tom was a teacher. He was my mentor, and he was my friend. Tom passed away in 2015 in just a freak accident. But the firm actually named an educational department that de- they developed after him. And in 2017, I had the honor to go, being his first student, to be speak at the opening of this new department in that firm which was named after him. He was a teacher. He was my teacher. Because of Tom, I actually ended up working for that firm after I graduated, and I worked for that firm for two years. And it was An incredible ride with him. We've been going through Romans 12, which Paul teaches the church in how we are to live as a follower of Christ. And in Romans 12, he lists out seven gifts of the Holy Spirit given to us in our Christian life and how we are to serve each other and to serve the world. And today we're going to look at the gift of teaching. In Romans 12, 7b, it says, The one who teaches in his teaching. So let's pray. Father God, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you for who you are and what you're doing uh, in this church. We thank you that you have given us gifts so that we are able to serve each other, but you have given us gifts so that we could serve, our, serve the world as well. And Father God, may we be your witnesses to the ends of the, the earth here. Mm-hmm. So Father God, as we dive into your scripture, as we look into your scripture today, Lord, may you speak to us personally but may you also speak to us corporately as a church so father god we thank you for your spirit we thank you for what you're doing and for all this in jesus name amen so teaching teaching is sometimes a position where we sort of some of us know that we either have it or we don't right we know that oh i'm 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 a teacher type or i'm i'm not what if I told you that all of us are actually called to this position? It may not always look like the way you think it is, but I want to help us get there today if you don't feel like I'm called to be a teacher. But if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start there. Ephesians 4, 11 to 13 says this. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Here we have the gifts given from Ephesians 4, and we've been talking about how the gifts are, are, are told to us in Romans and 1 Corinthians and Ephesians and 1 Peter. And then from here, the gifts are given to us. These are also known as more so as positions, more, more so than gifts. They're known also as the five offices of the church or, or the five pillars of the church. There's a man by the name of Alan Hirsch, he's a great teacher, and he actually expands this area, so if you want to learn more, Alan Hirsch teaches about APEST, okay? APEST stands for Apostle, Prophet, Evangelist, Shepherd, Teacher Model, and this is the model that he's given us, but these are the offices that are given to us. What are these offices given to us for? If we continue to read, it says to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. In some translation, it actually says to prepare God's people for works of service, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measures of the statures of the fullness of Christ. The purpose of these gifts is to equip the saints, to prepare us, to prepare us for the work of the ministry. Teachers help the congregation inhabit the sacred text by encouraging the community to be immersed in the scriptures and to live faithfully in God's story. Teachers help the congregation have a deep desire that that God's people will be nourished by the scriptures so that they might have better understanding in the ways of God and build their lives on the solid rock of his word. That's what teachers do. So now we're all thinking, well, that's not me. I'm not a teacher. Well, this is where we often get stuck in the spiritual gifts because sometimes we like to compartmentalize them too much. We, 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 we put them into nice, neat little boxes. And you're like, this is what an apostle does. This is what a prophet does. This is what the evangelist does. This is what a shepherd or a pastor does. And this is what a teacher does. But the reality is that we've, 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 we've put them into these neat little boxes, but the gifts of the Spirit, when they come, they come in ways that we may not actually see. So the gift of teaching may not look like what I'm doing here. The gift of teaching may not look exactly like even when you go to a college or go to school and you see those teachers teaching. And I... Honestly, there's a lot of teachers out there that don't have the gift of teaching. Do you agree with that? I don't remember many teachers leaving a lasting impression on me. Because they couldn't capture me. They, couldn't just, they weren't able to give me information. They were just there to kind of supervise me in my independent learning. That's actually how I figured. I, I actually went through K-12. It was independent learning, and I just kind of coasted through but let's look at how Jesus taught us. Let's turn to Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. This is a very, very famous verse. It's the Great Commission. We're all familiar with this. Whether we agree with this command or not, what, we're, what I'm here to talk to you about today is, is, comes straight from here. It says this. It says, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have to command you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So there's the obvious part of of Jesus saying, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, right? But this teaching is actually... This teaching is, is, is part of what Jesus actually teaches us to teach. Right here we have the aspect of go and what? Make disciples. Okay, Oftentimes we think making disciples, that's the work of an evangelist. We don't think that as the work of a a teacher. But if we go and look into the Greek word of what make disciples means, this is the word mateteo. That word literally means to teach and to instruct. To make disciples is what here in church we call discipleship. And discipleship means to teach and to instruct. So in the Great Commission, we have this aspect of go and make disciples. And oftentimes we think that go and making disciples is just about evangelizing to all those that don't know who Jesus is. But the reality is that Jesus says, go and make disciples, meaning that you are to teach people about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what making disciples is. When we, also, when, we, when we look at the idea of making disciples, essentially what this is saying is when you make disciples, you take them through the process of discipleship, which is to go, right? So as you make disciples, you, tell, you teach them, you have to go as well to make disciples, to baptize them, and then to teach them. That's what making disciples is. So as you make disciples, you are, in essence, teaching. So this is part of the Great Commission. The Great Commission literally covers the fivefold ministry of Ephesians 4. It's not just the work of evangelists. It's not just the work of an apostle to go. It's not just the work of a prophet or a shepherd or a teacher. It is literally all five offices are put into the Great Commission. Now, it doesn't mean that we all work as an evangelist or that we all work as a teacher. Now, let me say this. I've had to wrestle through with this myself because I know I'm not called like Billy Graham is called. Right? Billy Graham is the great evangelist, or even like my mom. My mom is an incredible evangelist. It doesn't matter who she talks to. Somehow she talks to them about Jesus. Right? My mom is crazy. I, 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 I applaud her for her courage. I'm embarrassed most of the time, but I applaud her for her courage. Because as she goes into it, she starts talking about Jesus. I'm like, oh, mom, don't go there. This person is, you don't even know this person. And then the next thing I know, 10 minutes later, I turn around. She's praying with them to receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. I'm just like, how do you do that? When, you, when you're able to do that, you know you're, you have the gift of evangelism, Right? That's my mom. I'm not that. I'm not that person. And so when it says when 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 we look at the Great Commission, sometimes I struggle with it in a way that I'm just like I'm not called to be in that same place. I'm not called to evangelize in that same place. But the Great Commission is more than just about evangelism. It's more than about more than just about uh, telling people about Jesus. But it is about instructing them to make disciples. Making disciples involve the idea of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, saying, follow me as I follow Christ, or imitate me as I imitate Christ, is do as I do, live as I live. We are all able to model a life of what it means to be a follower of Christ simply by following Christ. We just heard a great testimony from Tracy today. And she, she shared some failures, but she shared what God is doing in her family. That's exactly what it is. It's just living life with Jesus. It's just living our day-to-day life and allowing the people that are around us to see how we live our day-to-day life with Jesus. So as you live your day-to-day life, you are teaching people around you because you are a model of what it means to be a follower of Christ, despite whether you feel like you are a model Christian or not, that even through your struggles, even through the places where you feel like I'm lacking, that people are watching and they are seeing how do I handle those situations in that moment? How do I, how do I tackle some of these things as, as, as I'm living life? And as if you profess to be a Christian, people are watching you and, how they're, they're, and they're, they're, they're keeping a close eye on what you're doing. And as they see you, and as they see you tackle life's problems, and as they see you in full humility of knowing what God's scripture is teaching you to do in those moments, they're learning from you. Follow me as I follow Christ. That's what Paul literally says. So you... That, that calling is also on us in the process of making disciples. So whether you're at work, whether you're at school, you're making disciples. And actually the biggest disciple makers that we actually see in our society are moms. Moms that raise their children. A lot of moms are, are like, I'm so busy, I don't have time to actually go and make it disciples to go and evangelize but you know what you're making little disciples by watching your kids that that is part of the great commission that as a mom you are making disciples and that that is your calling in this moment that you are to 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 teach and raise your children in a place where they know who Jesus is parents get to do this for their kids it's an honor to do that for their kids to teach there is a formal aspect to teaching as well. There is that formal aspect of institutional teaching and there's that formal aspect of of standing here on stage and teaching. But all of us are called, not necessarily to, to teach in the same capacity that I teach, but we're all called to teach in a place that we live our life as Christians. And in that place, we're modeling our life to the people that are around us, and therefore we're teaching people to be followers of Christ. You could call that a mentor, you could call that a counselor, you could call that whatever you want to call it. But in essence, we're all called to teach. In Acts chapter eight, there's a story, verse 26 to 39. We have a story of a man named Philip. Now, Philip for those that know, there's, there's actually two Philips in the New Testament. One is a disciple of Jesus, and the second Philip is actually the first, one of the first deacons called um, um, in, in, the, in the early church. So when the church uh, brought up the first seven deacons, in amongst them there was Stephen who was martyred. For those that, that know the stories, Philip is another deacon. Here we have Philip. We don't know which Philip it is. It could be one of the disciples and one of the apostles, or it could be the, the deacon. But we know that Philip, at this point, he is ministering in Samaria. And if you know the history between Samaria and, and, the, and the Jews, that the Jews don't like Samaritans, right? Samaritans are seen as second class. They are seen as, as, a, as a lower class in terms of people and who they are. They're like, they're, they're mixed breed is what they, they call them. And so Philip, as the as apostles went to the ends of the earth, Philip went to Samaria to actually to, to minister to the Samaritans. And as Philip was ministering there, God calls him. So starting in verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. So Philip rose and he went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, Queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasures. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent. So he opens not his mouth. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Random story, right? Philip is ministering. He gets called by the Holy Spirit, literally calls him out and says, go to the desert. There's someone I need you to meet there. Why, did, why was it necessary for the Holy Spirit to call Philip to go to, to meet the eunuch? The reason is because the eunuch, through some miracle, he learns about who this man Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, has taught him and showed him and revealed to him that there's this, there's this God that is worth worshipping. That he travels from Ethiopia all the way down to Jerusalem to worship. However, if you know how the temple system worked at that time, Outsiders weren't really allowed into the temple courts. Meaning that the eunuch probably went to Jerusalem and was turned away from, from, to, to worship who Jesus is. So therefore, the eunuch didn't know what he was reading. He didn't know what he was learning. He didn't know about who Jesus was. He wasn't given the opportunity to do that because as he went to Jerusalem, he was probably denied and turned away. First, because he was a eunuch. And being a eunuch, you know that some places are, are, are modified. Let's use that word. And because he was modified in that way, the Jewish people didn't see him as whole. So the Jewish people didn't see him as whole. He would not definitely not be allowed to enter into, into the temple. Second of all, he was probably not of Jewish descent because he was from Ethiopia. And so that also prevented him from entering into the courts of, into the, courts of the temple to, to worship. So he had every intention to go worship some, so, somebody and something because the Holy Spirit prompted him to. But he, was, he would have gone to Jerusalem and was denied. But the Holy Spirit and Jesus knew that this probably would have happened. So that's why he prompted Philip and said, Philip, you need to go talk to this man. Because I've called him. I have placed my Holy Spirit on him. And so I need you to go and to to meet with this man in the desert. So Philip leaves Samaria, the perfect person to do it, right? Philip is already working with the underdogs. He's working with the people that nobody else wants to work with. Philip's already in a place where he's just like, "I, I have chosen to minister to people that nobody else wants to see that my fellow kind does not want to minister to. So for Jesus and the Holy Spirit to call Philip, it's a perfect person to minister to the Ethiopian eunuch. And so Philip goes, he, he goes, he runs alongside the chariot. He goes, he's like, do you know what you're reading? And at this point, the eunuch's reading about the book of Isaiah and how the lamb is going to be slaughtered. For the sake of your sin. And he's like, do you understand this? And what does the eunuch said? He says, how can I unless someone guides me? How can I unless someone guides me? This is literally what we're talking about when we, we, we come to the gift of teaching. We don't need to teach from a scholarly level. We just need to know the scripture enough so that we could guide others in knowing what the scriptures are. That's the gift of teaching. We, we, we just need to know our scripture. In, in our, our, our foundation series, we focus an entire sermon on, on knowing the scriptures. If you, don't, if you haven't heard that one, go back and, and, and listen to that one because I want you guys to know why do we need to know scripture for ourselves. Part of it is so that we could lead and guide others into knowing what the scripture says for us. And so Philip goes alongside and he comes to this Ethiopian eunuch and he teaches him, he explains who Jesus is. He explains what Jesus did on the cross. He explains what the scripture means that Jesus already fulfilled the scripture and that you have the opportunity of new life. And so as he explains that they come across this body of water and the eunuch's like, well, perfect opportunity for me to get baptized So Philip jumps in the water with the eunuch and he baptized him right that moment. This is the great commission being fulfilled on just a trip through the desert of going, of baptizing, and of teaching. We don't need to be Billy Graham to to do the great commission. We don't need to do... This is a little bit of bitterness coming out from me. We don't need to do one-on-ones. I Candice is laughing cuz she knows what I'm talking about. Anybody that went through campus crusade for Christ in the early 2000s and late 90s know what one-on-ones mean and every single student hated them. It was we had we basically went out with the four spiritual laws and tried to find people to talk to them about Jesus Christ and it was the scariest thing. <laughs> I have to say, four years, I only, four years of university of, with campus, I only did it twice, and I don't know how I got free with that, because that was not allowed with, with organization, but I only had to do it twice, and it was terrifying for me, both times. But it doesn't mean that we have to do that, that's not, the, that's not fulfilling the Great Commission. The Great Commission literally is, how do I live my life with Jesus Christ, and how do I model that to the people that are beside me? How do I have conversations about Jesus with the people beside me because of the way that I live my life. That's what teaching others to, to make disciples, that, that's what that means. All the eunuch wanted was someone to guide him. All he wanted was someone to guide him as he was reading the scriptures for himself. He needed context. He needed a place to start because the reality is if you if you just open up the bible and start reading it's hard to make sense of it if you're just starting from in the middle of the bible you you really don't know what all, any of it means and so the is like how will i know unless someone guides me i want this church to have a culture where we're able to ask each other can you guide me through this can you guide me through my life circumstances? Could you guide me through my, my what, what I'm, I'm trying to, to, to figure out in life? In our society, we're, we're taught to be so individualistic that we, we're afraid to ask for help. We're afraid to ask for help because it makes us seem like we don't have our life together. But I want this church to come to a place where we're vulnerable enough that we, we could say to each other, can you come alongside me and guide me in, my wi- in how I'm living my life? I would love to see young couples that are getting married go to older couples that have been married for, for 25, 30 years and say, can you guide me in my marriage? I want to see young moms going up to old moms. I just got death stares from every map that's in here. But saying... I'm trying to raise my children and I'm trying to disciple them in the best way that I can. Can you help me? And I want those that have gone through it say, learn from my mistakes. Learn from what I did wrong. Learn from my experience. Let me guide you. Let me teach you. Let me walk alongside you in life. I want this church to start being able to do that. I mean, we could formalize and we call it mentorship, but we don't need to either. We could just make it something that is organic and just say, hey, can you help me? Can you walk with me? I would love to see that type of authenticity that happens in this church, where we're not trying to put up some front, where we're not trying to, 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 to hide behind our, the, the perfections of, of what we feel like our life is, but that we just live life. Because life is messy, right? If you come to my house right now, it's a mess. I mean, if I invite you over, we clean up. So you think I live really clean. But if you come over right now, there's literally crumbs everywhere. Like my kids are the messiest eaters, and there are literally crumbs everywhere. Every surface, every crack, everywhere. It is the most disgusting place. I don't even know how people live there. I live there. But life is messy. And sometimes we need to see each other's messes in order to know that, hey, we're actually walking in this together. That we're all in this together. In Colossians 3.16, it says this. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom this is what I'm talking about this is the life that I want us to live this is how why I say if you don't feel like a teacher but we're all called to be teachers you may not be teaching but you're all called to be teachers in that sense that you're all called to live life with each other in the sense that you're called to, to, to walk with each other as Christ walks with us right? So church, would you do this with me? Would you go find people within this community or even outside of this community and say, can you guide me? Could you teach me? And then would you also go and say to younger people, people, or you don't even have to be younger, it you could be older too, but people that are not experienced in those areas and say, can I teach you? Can I guide you? Can I walk alongside you? I want our church to be able to be a a church that is strong, a church that has a community that is there to support each other. I want our church to be there where our church is able to say, I'm gonna walk beside you. That I I may not know you very well right now, but as I walk beside you and you walk beside me, that we're gonna get to know each other. You're gonna get to see my flaws, you're gonna get to see my failures, but you're also gonna get to see what God is doing in my life, the successes, the joys, the places where, where, where God has taught me and led me through some of the, some of the trials that I had to, I've had to walk through. But that's what community is about, right? That's why we do Christianity together. Or else we could all just do Christianity by ourselves right? That's why we need each other. So can we do this together? Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for who who you are. We thank you for what you're doing in the church. We thank you for what you have commanded us to do, that you've given us a great commission to go and make disciples, and that literally is to go and teach and to walk alongside others so that you are known, that as we walk with you, that others are able to see our lives as a reflection of who you are. And in that place, they get to know who you are. So Father God, we just pray, Lord, that you continue to pour your spirit into this church. We just pray that you continue to help us as Five Stones Church walk out what it means to be your church.
1: In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, Pastor John, for a wonderful message. I love how John came at it today, you know, really, in the way that John conveyed it to us, teaching is paying forward our knowledge, and we've all got something that we can pay forward to someone else. You know, one of the great feelings in life is to feel confident about something, whether it's fixing a computer or playing tennis or growing garlic or playing the keyboard, you can pass that knowledge on to someone, and God has deposited all of us knowledge about Jesus Christ. And so we get to pass that knowledge on and that feeling of being able to impart to someone and elevate someone and educate someone is such a wonderful feeling so be filled up with the word of god be filled up with the knowledge of god with the gospel of god maybe you're not going to be a seminary professor doesn't matter but there's someone out there is out there that you're able to fill up and pay forward that knowledge so jesus we thank you for the gift of teaching we thank you father god for the examples that were brought out in scripture today how Philip led this Ethiopian eunuch, Father God, to salvation just by explaining to him more clearly what the gospel was about. Give us opportunities, God, to encounter eunuchs, Ethiopian eunuchs, those who are searching, God, that we might give them the good news. We thank you, Father God, for this wonderful word in Jesus' name. Amen.